Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Annie and I are tackling another question from the mailbag. You guys have been on fire lately, and this one is no exception. We got an email from a manager who is struggling with a team member who is phenomenal. They have been a great fit for the team, but there's just one slight problem, which is that they have earned themselves a nickname with the team, and that is the cowboy. So let's get into this and find out why this person has been nicknamed the cowboy and what we can possibly do about this kind of situation, because I think this will be another episode where hopefully you love Andy's nickname for me as much as I do. And you are wondering, are they talking about my practice? Let's get into this. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie, mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys or girls goss. <laughs> that might be one of my favorites that you've ever done. Uh, you know, I don't, we don't do enough Willie Nelson, <laughs> Stephanie Goss mashups, Stephanie Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain goss, <laughs> Stephanie Whiskey River Take My Mind goss. Like, <sighs> Oh, it's an untapped well that's just been unlocked. I love it. It's amazing. Um, How's it going? It's good. It's good. Um, it was great to see you in person just uh-huh. um just a few days ago. I know. And uh and to get to catch up. And man, VMX was great. I really had a good time and I was really happy to be there. It was so awesome. It was so great to just see our friends and colleagues and like just be in the same space as people, which was also overwhelming, right? Because like I'm I'm pretty cautious and we kind of live in a pretty small bubble in terms of our interactions and stuff. And so I was having a lot of anxiety before going, but I will tell you, I think the folks over at NAVC did a great job um, everybody was pretty respectful of um, wearing their masks in the conference space. And um, it was it was cr- crowded. I mean, more crowded mm-hmm. than I was expecting, but not in a way that I felt like panicked, panicked or overwhelmed, um, you know, mm-hmm. because then when you're in Florida and you're kind of going out and about and doing other things um, there, I felt a lot more crowded in other spaces outside of the conference. So I think those guys definitely deserve the, the applause, uh, and the kudos for, for putting that yeah. together the way that they did. Cause it, it went really, really well. I was uh, really impressed and it was good to feel that energy that you get, um, you know, yeah. watching some of your lectures and hearing people engage and asking questions and just that excitement that comes with a uh, live in person CE was just so fun. Yeah, this is. I'm glad we got to talk about how great it was because I don't get to talk about how great it was because I came home and my wife has had children who have been snowed out of school and virtual <laughs> school since I left. And yeah. she's like, how was it? And I was like, it was awful. I wish I was been home with you and the children. And inside, I'm like, it was amazing, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you. I was thinking about them actually while we were gone because I saw on uh, social media the uh, your wife's preparation post as she got ready for Snowpocalypse to to hit uh, where you guys are in South Carolina. And I was curious how it actually went and if they got the yeah, oh, predicted it actually disaster yeah. level snow. <laughs> they did. They got like five inches of snow, which is is a lot in South Carolina. Really, mm-hmm. 
crazy. But yeah, everyone got to watch on social media from Orlando as my wife set up a generator in the snow. Because <laughs> she's <laughs> and, badass like and that. And on social media, I was like, ooh. <laughs> everyone, like they would look and they would see her with like pink cheeks, like pulling the ripcord on social media. And then they would slowly turn and they would look at me with my mojito and, and my, my Sitting by the pool in Orlando. Face mask. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. I love it. Oh, man. (laughs) I love you, Um, honey. So I am excited for our Willie Nelson episode today because uh, we have got a good cowboy one. Um, It's it's funny. This this question came up in um, a manager group that I'm in, and I reached out to the person um, who posted and asked them. I said, hey, this struck a chord with me because I have been in your same shoes. I've been the, the manager who's, who's been supervising someone like this on my team. And I know that I'm not alone. And would you be okay if if we talked about this on the podcast? And they were like, I think that'd be great because I'm, you know, I'm at a loss for what to do, which is why I reached out yeah. to everybody. So I think, again, this is going to be one of those episodes where people are like, are they talking about my clinic? Because I, th- I think a lot of us have have been there. It's a it's a clinic that has um, a technician who has been a great addition to their team. And they are very um, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. They have a lot of high expectations for themselves in terms of their skill set. And this technician has been doing some things that uh, the manager feels like are putting them at unnecessary risk, like trying to do jugular blood draws by themselves. Um, And some of the rest of the tech team have kind of nicknamed this person the cowboy because they are trying to do so much by themselves. And the team's perception is that this person is trying to prove something to them. And Mm. this manager's like, I feel like I need to talk to them, A, just about how to ask for help, B, talk about clarifying because it is not in our protocols or policies for team members to be doing, you know, something like a jugular job by themselves for the exact reason that they put this forward, which is that in the time period that this person has worked with them, they have been bitten and scratched and gotten um, you know, been had their own health put at risk by yeah. their interactions with their patients because it has not been super, super safe. And so they were like, I feel like they really need to slow down. And I'm wondering, has anybody had this type of employee and what worked in terms of addressing it with them? And like I said, it really resonated with me because I have I have more than once uh, worked with this person and was just like, this was a hard one. I struggled with it as manager. So I'm excited for you and I to to go through this one today. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. This is um this is a classic management trap. And and I so I see it already. I, I, I think this is a great question. I appreciate the person who, who, who let us sort of take a crack at it. Um, I think the, the trap is and we're already sort of seeing this here is focusing on the idea that I need to talk to this person about how to ask for help or that this is going to be a process discussion because neither of those things address the underlying issue here. And so I really think a lot of this, I'm not saying you can fix it every time, but I'm saying your only hope of fixing it is recognizing what drives this behavior, like discovering it, digging it out, and then fixing that underlying problem, which is generating the cowboy mentality and the cowboy actions. The cowboy actions are rarely the problem themselves. They're sure. generally a symptom of some sort of psychological position this employee has put themselves in. And if we can reset that that vision, then we can often change that behavior. But it's a whole lot easier to talk to the underlying problem so that this behavior goes away than it is to 
hold people accountable, uh, reprimand or right. coach them out of this specific behavior. Sure. So I like that a lot. So yeah, let's go ahead and uh, get in a good headspace for this. You ready? Yep, sounds good. I believe. Um, so so let's talk about about why this why this happens. Like, why do we see this tribal behavior and we see these people who are just going above and beyond to do things that are unsafe or risky mm-hmm. to to get it done? Right. There, there's a there's a, a number of reasons, um, and so I'll give you a couple of them that pop into my mind. Is generally, is generally not is not not knowing how to ask for help. That may be it, but it's that's usually it's not it. Sure, it's also usually not about not knowing or understanding the policies. Right, it's usually about tribal status, which is I want to be perceived in a certain way by the team. And 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 when I say that, it plugs a lot into self-worth and yeah. insecurity. People who are willing to take risks with themselves and their health are often insecure of their position in the team. They want other people to think that they're valuable or that they're really good at their job. And they're like, I'll take this risk to try to prove to people that I'm willing to do this. And so there's insecurity there and there's, and there's, and they question their self-worth. If I don't do these things, then I'm not, I'm, but then, then they won't see value in me. Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's identity in doing things that others can't or won't do. You know, how do I fit? What's my role in the team? I'm the one who gets it done. I'm the one who, who will do the things that others won't, won't do, do yep. or that they can't do. Yep. Right. These people get positive reinforcement for these behaviors. Right. So as a manager, we're like, you did a blood draw by yourself. Are you crazy? On the floor, people get these kind of raised eyebrows and like, wow, that was that went really well. Right. And they get these subtle boy. You really are a cat whisperer to be able to do that, you know, or you you really. um, Wow. You really are fast. You get things done. And they're and they're that sort of filling their emotional bucket. And, and and the risks they're taking are not good risks, but there's a bad habit of us to go, wow, that was crazy. That was, boy, you really, you you jump in when other people would stand right. and wait. And they get positively reinforced for these behaviors that are ultimately in the long term really problematic. There's a thing called present bias. And present bias is the idea of like right now in this moment, the good thing is to get this case done, mm-hmm. right? The long-term view is, Honestly, in the long term, it's the best thing is for me to stay safe and healthy and to maintain our standard of care over the long term. Right. But right now, in this moment, when we're behind schedule and people are waiting up front and all the exam rooms are full, just get this thing done. That is the immediate like pressure that people feel. And yeah. so they often fold to present bias of do the thing that's right in front of you that will that will give you immediate gratification or immediate pride on, pride on the back yep. and discount the long-term detriments of this immediate behavior. And so I, I see I see that drying it, you know. Um are there other reasons that there can be? Like I said, these are these are just the main sort of personal drivers that I see. It's possible that people have, you know, real self-identity issues or self-worth issues and things. And that's beyond what we're going to get into as their boss or their employer or their colleague. Right. But but those those types of issues are generally what drive this more so than an understanding or a lack of understanding about policies and yeah. uh, and how to get help. Well, and I think I think the last reasoning for me is um, one of our biggest challenges in veterinary medicine, which is the, uh, the people that I have worked with that have been um, this 
kind of team member, the, the you know, go rogue or, or the cowboy um, or mm-hmm. cowgirl have come often come from environments, high pressure, high stress environments that very much exist in the present bias, whether it's, you know, high volume hospital. Yep. Uh, ER environment where they're on nights and there is minimal staff. So you learn how to do a lot more with less or, um, you know, shelter medicine where cost is a concern. And so you often have more of a skeleton crew because that's what the the funding and the budget supports those kind of environments. And so I think I have seen people grow up in those environments and they're doing what they have always done because that's how they learned. And there are so many things in veterinary medicine where we get trapped in that in that yeah. hole. And so I, I think that it very much ties to your point of present bias. They are like they are very much probably thinking about it from let's get this case done and over with because that is what they know and that's what, you yeah. know, feels comfortable. And so they know they they may know that they should ask for help, but getting the case done and over with, oh, I could do this by myself and just move on. Uh, yeah. they, you know, it's well, very easy to put that that pressure on themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think I think also I think that's a great point. But boy, you talk about positive reinforcement. Like when you're trained and you're told this is how you do it, and then you mm-hmm. do it, and they go, "Great job today." You did well. Mm-hmm. Like that's the positive mm-hmm. reinforcement part sure. coming back in. Is this is a behavior that has gotten praised in the past, right? right. And uh, and now I, I think most of us struggle. I mean, it, especially if we, if we came up this way, and, and there's years of a positive reinforcement structure to be like, oh, I'm in a new place, and what got me positive reinforcement before doesn't get it for me anymore. Yep, that's not something that you discard and then put back on something else like you're changing jackets. You know, like it, like we have been trained and wired that way. I mean, think about, um, I mean, honestly, think about this and and you hear me talk about this a lot and I say humans are simple animals and I don't care how smart you are, how many degrees you have, you're a simple animal. And think about people that you know who have, um, who have, or or think think about, let's take it, make it simple. Think about dogs that you know and they have been trained to do something. And then think about how it, much it takes to untrain them mm-hmm. from the behaviors that they have had, where they have been positively reinforced, where there's been a stimulus and a response. And again, people people are, are different. They are smarter than dogs, of course, but we still have that same internal wiring of, of how we're trained and how we respond to repeated positive reinforcement. And again, I say this is not, this is, this is, I, about every human being. I don't I don't care how smart you are. I believe that that's how we're made. And so when you think about the the difficulties of untraining behaviors in pets that have been positively reinforced, it's hard and it's hard in people. Yeah. And that's just I, I think going into it with that headspace of like this is what we're up against. I think that can help set really clear realistic expectations of how we get through this because we can get through it. But it's not a switch. Right. And I really think that that's critically important is I think a lot of people think when they see stuff like this, I'm going to go tell this person that they have to stop doing this and then they'll stop doing it. Yeah. And maybe they will. Right. Maybe if they are showing up and they're like, this makes me uncomfortable, but I really need to to show out for, for the rest of the team, then right. maybe I can have a conversation with them. But if it is something that is how they've been in the past or how they were trained. Um, it, it can take a while. And so I would go in this hoping that this is a feedback conversation, but expecting that it's going to be a coaching conversation, which is probably going to take more time. time. And yeah. if I think that, then I'm not disappointed when the behavior doesn't immediately go away. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I think a lot about, about how, do we, how do we reach this person? And, and the answer is compassion, right? And, and, I, and I think this gets us into the right headspace to have the conversation. If mm-hmm. I go and say, look, you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting your team at risk, uh, you're putting the patients at risk, you're not delivering the quality of care that, that we deliver. Now I'm, I'm, I'm hitting this person in ways that really hurt. Right. You know, like I don't want to be told that I'm not taking good care of patients or that I'm putting my team at risk. Like those are heavy accusations. Right. And, and most of us are not in an emotional place to be able to take that kind of of criticism, even if it's true. Like we don't want to hear that. It's too painful and it hurts too much. And so we get defensive. We say, you guys don't know what you're doing. This is hoity-toity. Like we, we put up walls to keep ourselves safe. And that's just the human animal. And so if you want to help this person, you can't go after them with, um, you know, with negative feedback and, and with, um, you know, and pointing out the problems necessarily with what they're doing. We, we will have that discussion, but we're going to do it very much in a way that is, um, that is kind, yep. you know, and that is, that, is, that is caring. The people who often struggle with this are, are often kind of panicking inside, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to do everything that they can do. And people who risk their health or, or that push the boundaries like this, they often feel like they have something to prove or, or that, or that they, they, uh, they're in a position where, um, where, you know, taking your time and working with a team is not, is not available. It reminds me a lot. We've been watching a lot of Encanto at my house <laughs> and that song yeah. surface pressure. Um, that Louisa sings, yeah. and if you haven't seen Encanto, you should see it. It's so good. But um, and honestly, like, I, it's a happy, fun song, and it almost makes me cry when I hear it because yeah. I see it so often in in others and in myself. But basically, it's this uh, it's this character who has this superhuman strength, and she does everything mm-hmm. for everybody. Right, and she sings a song about how strong she looks on the outside, but how the whole time she's she can't make any mistakes she can't let anyone down she's terrified right. she's not going to be strong enough you know like but i she's I have carrying to carry that this, weight i have yeah. to carry this weight for everyone else because i'm the strong one and god it resonates so strong and it is sure. so amazing but um but i've been thinking a lot about that but that's what i see when i see the cowboy in some in some ways and again i'm generalizing but boy there's a lot of louisa cowboys out there who mm-hmm. You know who are they'll get it done or they'll take this risk but on the inside they're they're really stressing about about their own value you know and yeah. and and what worth they really they really bring yeah so you know we've all been insecure and we've all been worried about how other people look at us sure and i think that's the pathway to engage in these types of conversations yeah yeah, no, I I agree 100% with that cuz like I think about um the people in my career that I have worked with who have been this person and and you know I I think about myself and and some of my friends and you know um had some really good conversations at VMX this last week but there was a few conversations uh with some really good friends who I look at and see as very confident people um mm-hmm. and th- when you when you have that confidence, it's really hard to look at people like that and think that they could be insecure. But it yeah. is amazing to me when you have the the comfort and the trust to be able to let your guard down and, and have those conversations. And and I was talking with some friends and and talking to them about how much I admired 
their ability to look confident. And I was like, because I feel like in situations like that, I, I feel like I look as terrified as I am on the out, on the inside, on the outside, you know, like I don't look at myself as having confidence and, and, um, you know, the, the conversation very much was, are you kidding me? Like, I like, (laughs) yes, I'm, yes, I, I know I can do it and I'm still nervous. I'm nervous every time I I do this thing or I face this fear. And so, you know, when I think about those people that I have worked with in my career who have been this person, I have had the pleasure of actually knowing them over time well enough to know that the confidence comes from that place of insecurity of feeling like yeah. I have to do it or the weight is on me. And so I think your I think your analogy and your your um tie to Louisa having seen that movie is is a very good one because I think that is really easy to feel like, well, I have to hold the weight of this. And so I can't let anybody see the pressure that I'm putting on myself to make this yeah. to make this good. And so, you know, but but I think about the people on my team and I would way rather work with someone like this who is a who is a wonderful in in this manager's word a wonderful addition to their team who has is putting the high expectations on themselves i would way rather work with that person as a as a manager and as a leader to try and get them to develop those self-awareness skills and get to the place where they feel like it's safe and it's okay to say oh maybe i should pause for a second and yeah. ask for help i would way rather do that than work with somebody who has no desire, no, you know, no motive is on that opposite end of the spectrum, right? Of like, I have to really poke this person with a cattle prod to get to do what I want them to do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, but you're exactly right, right? Like, um, and think about it as a spectrum. Would you rather work with a person who cares so much that they take risks that they shouldn't take? Right. Or would you rather care with someone work with someone who cares so little that they will not engage unless it is convenient for them? Right. Unless you know what I mean. Unless yep. this is, uh, I don't know. Unless unless they are walked by the hand. Yeah. Up to the engagement, you know, like no, give me the person who cares too much. Yep. But I'm but I'm going to work with them and, and try to get them to come down, and so I. Uh, we're going through this exercise and talking about this because when I get in the headspace to have this conversation, I want to see value in this person. I, and I do not want to get lost yep. that I that I see where they're coming from and I see them and I and I understand that this that there are probably some reasons beyond a lack of policy understanding that that are driving this behaviors. And the last thing, you know, as we get, as we get into headspace and start talking about putting these things together, um, you know, are, are you safe to have the conversation? And yep. you talk talk a lot about this. I feel like we we left left it off the list a lot recently, which is which is fine because we talk about it so much. But are you safe to have the conversation? S is can you sit next to this person and can you smile? It is not the right time to to yes. go and talk to this person when you're mad in the moment. Or, yeah. Especially, let's just say that this person has just overstepped and they've got big cat scratches down their arm and you're like, look, we need to talk about this now. Right. <laughs> because they are, because they're feeling shame right. or embarrassment from trying this thing. And so if they're insecure and insecurity is driving this and they just had a setback in yep. front of the whole team and now you're coming at them and saying, hey, we've got to talk about this. You're making it worse and really uh pushing that insecurity monster into a corner yep and and i and i don't i don't want that um and so can i can i sit next to this person and and if i can't we we may have to schedule this for tomorrow Mm -hmm. you know when we're going to talk about it am i assuming good intent and that that's why we had this big conversation in the beginning this person is not willfully ignorant 
They don't yep. disrespect you and the rules. They're not, you know, doing things their own way and, and bucking authority. They've got something in their mind that they feel like they have to prove. They don't think that they're worthy of respect unless they push the envelope and do things that other people do. They've got some weird uh, value system that has been taught and positively reinforced in the past that they're working again. Like they, these people, like I said, the most important thing to remember is you're dealing with someone who cares so much that they're willing to put themselves at risk. And that helps me to see them in a positive light, which mm -hmm. is going to make this a better and easier conversation. Yeah. F is, has this person been set up to fail? And, you know, do we have policies? Do we have protocols right. about how we restrain and how we handle? Do we do animal uh, restraint, uh, low-stress animal handling training, things like that? Because if this person was trained somewhere and they came in and we say, get on the floor and go to work, we kind of set them up to fail. Well, and I feel like this is one of those areas where, especially with experienced team members that we as a as an industry really do need to own this the, the f a little bit because there are i can think of my own career of so many times that i set team members up to fail because they were experienced and they they had the skill set and they came in and i made assumptions because i knew their skill set and i knew they had proven their abilities that I was like, cool, go, you know, go at it and let them loose thinking it would be condescending or it would be um, like I was questioning their abilities if I sat down with them and said, hey, this is how we do this here. This is our protocol. This is our process, right? And I think that that's assumption that a lot of us managers can make is when we do have experienced team members come on board, it is equally important to have that training process and go through the things with them to to reaffirm that their skills actually are what we think that they are, but also just to integrate them into our culture. And so this is where this is where we really have to, you know, when we before we point the finger at someone else, we have to look at the fingers pointing back at us and say, Hey, maybe, maybe, and maybe, maybe this manager did this as part of their, their onboarding process. I, I don't know, but I know that for myself and for many of my fellow managers, we can all think of times where we have put an experienced person and let them loose because we knew their skill set, and yet we're doing them a disservice and we're doing the team a disservice when we don't take the time to have a training process for them the same way we would for an assistant who came in and who had zero experience, right? Or a tech yeah. just out of school that didn't have a whole lot of on the floor experience prior to going to tech school. So I think that this one is a, is a really important one and it's often one that we can overlook. Yeah, and then E in safe is the end result, is what is the end result that you want? I don't want this person to apologize. I'm yeah. not trying to get them to say that they made mistake. I just, I want their behavior in the future to change. I want them to be, I want them to be safe and I want them to practice the standard of care that we practice. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't, I don't want this again to be a, a punishing thing. Right. I, I don't want it to be a painful thing. I, I want it to be a, I want it to be a growth thing. Yeah. That's what I want. And so that's the end result that I'm kind of looking for. I love it. Um, cool. Should we take a quick break here and then jump into some action steps? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, 
I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Um, yes. And I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how, uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey everyone, it's Stephanie and I just want to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a couple of things that are coming up that you may not want to miss. Andy and I just kicked off our strategic planning workshop series. We've been doing this at the top of the year every year for the last few because it gives us a chance to talk about how do we set the team up for success when we look ahead at a coming year. We've done the first session already by the time this comes out, but you can still join us for the remaining three. We're going to be talking about setting, vision, mission, talking about values with our team and really living and breathing it versus something fancy that just goes up on our wall. We're going to talk about loading the bus, getting the right people in the right seats and moving forward. And then we're going to talk about KPIs and what do we need to look at from a numbers perspective to smartly manage the practice and also how do we get our team bought into that. So you can join us for that. And then the other thing I want to make sure you don't miss is uh, we have a class coming up on February 17th. It is a workshop that is being led by my friend, Dr. Adam Little. This is a workshop that Adam did for us previously at an Uncharted event. And we heard so much great feedback about this that I wanted to figure out a way to bring this to you guys virtually. And Adam rose to the challenge and I am super stoked about this. You're not going to want to miss it. It is called What Vet Med Can Learn From Improv. And uh, Adam is going to be talking about how to learn how to take the fundamental foundations of improv and apply it not only to comedy, but to life and practice. So how do we learn to think quick on our feet and be more comfortable with what is often the uncomfortable or the unexpected? So that workshop is kicking off on February 17th. The registration is still open. You can find out about these and more at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And now back to the podcast. So let's get into some action steps. Okay. All right. One of the big reasons that uh, I wanted to bring up the safe conversations in the headspace is because it's critical in our first action action step, right? And the first action step is cliche. It's start start with why. Um, it's easy to bring this person in and say, "You got to stop doing that. You, you did this thing, and it was and it caused a problem." Now, if that happens, if if the person has done something one time and was a bit cavalier, then just saying, "Hey, when you put yourself at risk like this." this is the outcome or sure. this is what can happen. Um, please don't do that again. And as simple feedback, it takes 10 seconds. You look them in the eye, you smile at them and you just say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Right. When you when you do this, uh, you put yourself at risk. You put the team at risk. You, 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 we, don't, we don't live our values. We don't uh, deliver the patient 
care that we have set forth to mm-hmm. deliver. Can you do that differently next time for me, buddy? Thanks, man. You're the best. And, th- and, that, and that's it. That's the whole conversation. That's that quick feedback. And it's just done. If this is a pattern of behavior and we're seeing this person, especially if they have a reputation of the cowboy, mm-hmm. this is not a one and done feedback on a specific behavior. Right. Right. This is about the pattern of behavior. And so we need to talk about why. We need to talk about why do you want this person to stop? And it's not because it's a violation of our policies, although that's part of it. Right. But I, I can say I worry about you. I right. want you to be here. I don't want you to be injured. I, I don't yep. I don't think it makes you look good uh, when these things happen and you end up getting bitten and go into urgent care. Like that's that's not it's not good for you. And we lose a great technician off the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm going to talk about their longevity in the profession. I'm going to talk about the example that they set for others and others look up to them. I'm going to talk about the impact on patient care. I'm going to talk about legal liability of the practice and saying, hey, I know you don't mean this, but you put us in a really hard spot mm-hmm. because, I mean, we could end up we can end up getting sued yep. if, if people say this is how we how we work or, sure. or there's workers comp problems or things like that. So like, like there's a lot of reasons why this is. Uh, this is not a good idea. It has nothing to do with I don't believe you're that good, right? Or you know things like that. Yeah. I want to. I want to. I want to validate the value of their worth. Uh. And and um. And yeah. Outside of these sort of reckless behaviors. Sure. Right. You are valuable. We want you here. Right. And this is me really trying to speak to that idea of a lot of times these behaviors come from insecurity. And so I, I want to validate this person. I want to provide them the security so that they can stop doing these reckless Think. things, mm-hmm. right? But if but if they feel insecure and pushing themselves beyond what is um, ideal, we shall say, right? If pushing themselves beyond what is ideal is the way that they try to right. uh, show their value, yep. And then I just take that tool away from them without fixing the underlying problem. Now I have this insecure person who felt like the one thing that they could do to show their value has been stripped from them. Yeah. And they're they're gonna they're gonna leave. Uh they're gonna push back. They're gonna find something else that tries to demonstrate their value and that may not be a healthy behavior. Right. I want to address the underlying problem, which is hey, we want you here. We like you here. Everybody likes you. You are well established. You don't need to do these things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. So it works with that. That validation is a big part of of the starting. Uh, uh, it, it works in combination with explaining why we're having this conversation. I think that piece is so important, and it's amazing how big of an impact. It's so simple, but I will tell you, in my own personal experience, after bumbling through it, eventually got through trial and error on my own, got to the place where it was like, look. I think that you're amazing technician. Like these are the things that you do so well. I don't need you to do jug draws by yourself. I need you to be whole and healthy. And when you have to miss days of work because you got bit and are on antibiotics and the doctor told you to stay home for three days, like that's what I don't need. I need you here. And so can, can we, and then leading into how do we solve the problem together? Right. But it's about, look, this is what I do think is great about you. And I don't, it was amazing to me how simple and powerful the words of I don't need you to do this thing and then calling out the behavior what Mm -hmm. a radical difference that made in turning on the light bulb for that person because if they are feeling insecure they they are probably coming at it from a place of I just to some degree of I want to be needed it's nice to feel needed and when you can do that thing that nobody else is willing to do or you know that gets the raised eyebrows like that is 
that is often them wanting to feel needed in that way. And so hearing, I don't, I don't need you to do that. Like these are, this is the other things that you do that are amazing and fantastic. I need you to do more of that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's not wrong to just ask them as well. You know, we're made a number of assumptions yes. here, but yep. but I'd like, ideally, I'd like those assumptions to be validated. Yep. So asking questions of, tell tell me tell me honestly, why why do you mm-hmm. why do you do that? Like yep. why why would you put Seek yourself to understand. At risk like that? Yep. Just help me understand what what you're thinking here. Yep. And and that's a, that's a very open ended question, but and a lot of times remember they're not going to say it's because I'm insecure right. and I question my self-worth <laughs> on the team. They're not going to say that. Right. But they may um, tell you, you to... they may tell you, well, you know, at my previous hospital, yep. this was this was how I was trained. This is how I learned and we needed to get stuff done and it just seemed to be the most efficient way. So that's the way I've yep. always done it. Or, the, or they'll point out to you legitimate concerns that they have. Sure. That we're, yep. we're taking risks that they're taking is not the appropriate response, but there is a reason that mm-hmm. they are doing and they may say mm-hmm. hey look we are not moving efficiently mm-hmm. and there's other people who are standing around that i am trying to pick up the slack and set an example to get those guys to get engaged yep and yes i know i, I push too hard but that is why i'm doing these things alone yep. is because people are standing around and and so then what i would say is you have a different man- management problem right. on your hands and right. if that's true then then the agreement is hey look you're going to stop taking these risks and i am going to get on board mm-hmm. with motivating these people yep. and figuring out how to get those things done because that should not be happening and yep. that may be empowering other people it may be protocols it may be whatever it is um but i don't want to you know what i mean i, I think we sort of started talking as if there would be no legitimate reason for this but sometimes mm-hmm. People, again, not the right course of, course of action, but sometimes we make a poor choice in response to a very legitimate yep. problem. And so, again, this is a way of me relieving that pressure to try to coach this person back to where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. We got we to gotta do a positive reinforcement on the safe and the responsible behaviors. Yes. Uh, you know, you and I talk a lot about building culture and it's kind of our kind of our sweet spot and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of where we live. Um, it is really hard to police culture, right? It is hard to catch people not doing culture and get them in trouble. The better play in these things is it's positive reinforcement. Yeah. Positive reinforcement got this person into these behaviors. Positive reinforcement is going to get them back out. Yeah. Just like we talked about retraining uh, pets. Um, I'm not going to negatively reinforce my way out of something that they were trained to do. I need to, I need to use positive reinforcement to 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 coach and to grow them. Mm-hmm. And um and that's it. So are we positively reinforcing safe behavior, uh, responsible handling, teamwork, collaboration, things like that? H- how do we do that? Yeah. I think um one of the things that I um that I tried that worked really well was from coming at it from an accountability perspective. And so mm-hmm. I had the conversation one-on-one with the person and was just like, look, I like I, I need you here and I need you safe. And what you're doing mm-hmm. is not safe for you. And it's also not safe all the time for your patients either. And so I know that you care about your patients and I know that you would never want to hurt anybody. And so like, let's talk about the risks. And so then I then I said, okay, I I need you to be accountable, not to me because I'm your boss. I need you to be able to be accountable to yourself because I know that you want to be here and be a part of this team. And so 
I opened up the door to having the conversation about, well, what what would accountability look like to you? And it caught me so off guard. But the the very first time that I dealt with this as, as a manager, I had um, it was a veterinary assistant who was was the cowgirl. And we were having the conversation and and she said to me, maybe maybe I could have a code word. And I was like, I, I was confused. And I, so I said, well, tell me, tell me, tell me more about that. And she said, well, sometimes I can feel myself like going to go rogue and do the thing because I feel like it's just better. And so maybe I can have a code word for you or for uh, somebody else on the team to ask for help because saying, hey, I need your help with this when they're in the middle of doing something else, then I feel guilty because I feel like I'm pulling them away from their job and what they're supposed to be doing. And it it like lightning bolt moment for me because I realized part of why they were doing what they were doing was because they didn't want to inconvenience other people. And mm-hmm. so it was, to your point, it was a different management problem, right? But it gave me a starting place. And so we had a conversation one-on-one and talked about it. And it was great because the idea came from this person. And then we moved out to have a conversation with the team as a whole and just say, hey, we've been talking about this and... Um, you know, we want to set up some accountability for each other, like, and protect each other. And so would it work for everybody if we set up a system where we had a code word, where if we see somebody struggling or trying to do something by themselves that they probably shouldn't, that we're all okay if we use this code word and ours was pineapple. And if we say pineapple to somebody, that means, hey, I either I need help or, hey, you need some help. And we had to have a conversation about being okay with accepting that help in the moment, Mm -hmm. even if we didn't feel like we needed it. But I will tell you, it was amazing how much of a difference it made for your reason, which was it created the environment where we could reinforce the good behavior, right? We weren't Mm -hmm. catching them screwing it up and not asking for help again when they should have, but it created an environment where I could say, "I'm, I'm feeling like I just need to get this thing done. And I know that I shouldn't rest. And so I'm going to ask for help, even if the other people are involved in something else, because they've given me permission to not feel guilty about it. Or as a team member, this person has given me the okay to help them and say, hey, pineapple, like, let me let me hop in and help you. What do you you know? What do you need? Do you want me to hold you? You know, like and ask them for help in a way that felt very, very safe. And it was it was right it took mm-hmm. changing the behavior so it didn't happen very often but i made made it my job to kind of pay attention to the situation and i was the one to be brave and call out pineapple and like set the example for them right but slowly but surely i watched them react to each other and develop that that positive reinforcement with each other because not only were they doing it not only were they ca- calling each other pineapple but it created the safety where they were like hey great job on that you know, you, you know, thanks, thanks for, thanks for letting me help you and create that, that positive reinforcement and the, the group dynamic shifted when they saw the power and being able to help each other and support each other there. And it was, um, uh, it was such a, such a great experience for me. And, and they haven't all gone like that, right? Like I've had, I've had it go spectacularly sideways, even when we talked about it as a team, but I think your point of, figuring out what that positive reinforcement looks like and catching people doing good, but also figuring out without throwing someone under the bus, without making someone the center of attention in a way that feels uncomfortable, how can I get the team to 
to point out when we're doing things that are good, you know? So if the rest mm-hmm. of the team is given this person the cowboy nickname, maybe it's having a team conversation or maybe it's as a manager having a separate side conversation with the rest of the tech team and saying, hey, guys, I know that this has been a thing. I know you've all been joking about it. It really it really bothers me. And I really want your help. I, I need your help to yep. fix this. Here's what I need. And then ask them for help and get them yeah. get them involved in the process. Well, that's the hard part, right, with positively reinforcing your way out of problems like this is that how often are you standing around this right. person when they do stuff? It, right. It's got to you've got to recruit. Uh, I'm not saying you have a team meeting where everybody's going to help Daryl. Right. Um, but <laughs> but there are I mean, I'm going to say to my head technicians, hey, guys, this is what's going on. And these are this is this is the behaviors that I want to do. Yep. I'm not asking you to police Daryl. But I am asking you to pay attention and positively reinforce those behaviors and just get a support system around who's mm-hmm. there to say, yeah, hey, that was really great. Yep. You know, ultimately, whether it's in the first conversation that we have or the ongoing sort of feedback processes that we're talking about, uh, for a lot of people, I'm really trying to get them to redefine their self-worth yeah. so that they don't see their value in this, but they still see value in themselves or they believe that other people see value in them. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. and, and I need to I need to talk to them about why I see value in them at this meeting and, and what what their value to us is and, and how I appreciate them and how I want to keep them and, and why I want to keep them. But at the same time, I need people on the floor to also support that revision of what self-worth is and we do that by celebrating the person when they do the things that are positive and healthy self self-worth self-valuing yep. behaviors you know and and celebrating them for the things that are good and sustainable uh as much or more than we need to catch the things that are not healthy or that are problematic that we want to stop the, i mean the last thing i would say and then we talked about this at the beginning but i would I just hit it one more time coaching is a process right? It, it is a process. We are talking about changing people. A lot of times we're talking about changing people who have long established behaviors. Or they have underlying drivers that are yeah. making these behaviors happen. Be patient. Be kind. Remember that this person is putting themselves at risk because they care a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is the person, that's the type of person we, we want to work with and we want to keep, but we want to keep them healthy. Yeah. And we want to, and we want to keep our, our, practice safe and we want to keep um our other people learning and growing in ways that are good and that we're proud of and yeah. so but well, we can balance those things it just takes time it's going to take more than one conversation make sure you're having positive conversations as much or more than you're having any sort of negative conversation well and i think that's really important because i think it is an ongoing process and i think it i think your points are spot on and i think we you know we said in the beginning like this is not necessarily about someone not knowing the protocol or not knowing what your policies are and i think the coaching piece a lot of times can be looked at as, oh, I'm going to do the positive and I'm going to do the supportive part of it. And the accountability piece does get left out a lot. And so I think it's really important to say, look, you should not start with accountability. There has to be the stuff that you and I just spent the last half hour talking about. All of that has to be set up and there has to be ongoing support and and you have to create the environment where that where that person feels like they are trusted and 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 have trust in you. And if the behaviors, because as as manager, it is important to recognize I am in charge of the safety of the team. And if I have a team member who is 
being reckless and who is endangering themselves and their team members, there is accountability that has to be put in place. And so when you have a team member that is bitten, that is scratched, that gets, uh, you know, uh, the the ringworm cases because they're mm-hmm. not doing what they're supposed to be doing, those things, like at some point, there has to be accountability for that. And so I think, um, I think the important part for you and I is that is absolutely not where you, I would start this conversation. And when it comes to coaching, don't forget that accountability is a part of that process. And so if you have had the conversation and you have had the follow-up conversations and you're still having the conversation after having multiple follow-up conversations, then I think it's not about what they're doing. It's not about them being a cowboy. It's not about them being reckless. It's about their behavior is not changing Mm -hmm. and there does need to be accountability because at the end of the day, your patient safety, your whole team safety, your their safety as an individual employee is your responsibility as a manager. And so don't forget that that piece should be a part of the conversation. So if you I think it's really easy to be like, oh, okay, this is you know, it's touchy. It's the leaning into the the people piece of it and the emotional and the the touchy feel it feely piece of it. And knowing that there does come a point where when behavior doesn't change, now you're not talking about the thing that they're doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. the problem. Now you're talking about the fact that they are refusing to change their behavior. And that can be unacceptable. And it is okay to discipline that process and have a, have a, you know, have a process, whether you put them on a performance improvement plan or whatever your, your disciplinary process looks like in your hospital, but you should have that process. That's not the tool that you should reach for first in this situation. You need to do the pre-work. But if you get to the point where, you know, you're, you're four months in and, and this employee has still been bit, you know, five or six times and nobody else on the team has gotten bit now it is perfectly acceptable, probably a little bit too late <laughs> to be yeah, having yeah. that conversation like point, like, about, look, yeah. this is continuing to happen. It's not happening to anybody else. Now we're talking about the fact that your behavior is not changing and this is unacceptable. Yep. And here's the here's the accountability piece of that. Yeah. And you're not you're not showing a willingness to change. Right. And, and I don't have any reason to believe that you will change in the future. Right. And now I am making decisions about the future based on the information that I have. Yeah. But yeah. Pattern patterns are key. Uh, spotting patterns is really the heart and soul of management. Of uh, man, I heard the best quote today. Uh, you and I were there, and we were talking to one of our friends, and he said um, something like, "If you make the same mistake over and over and over again, at some point, it's not a mistake; it's your culture." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's really good. Uh-huh. It's to- totally, totally that. true. <laughs> that one's a great one. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, this is a great one. Have a great week, everybody." Yeah, guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. Uh, Don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. (laughs) I can tell you my my babies want to be uh, a fashion designer and a paleontologist. So uh, I think I'm going to be in the clear. Yeah. (laughs) See ya. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.